0: Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday Morning Message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty.
1: How is it that you know anything you know, if you know anything about God? Mm. Did you figure him out? No. Did you wake up one morning and think to yourself, I should probably become knowledgeable about the things of God. No. Nope. No, that did not happen. Pauline theology says repeatedly that the only way you know anything is that God has to reveal himself to you. Christianity is a revealed faith, a revealed religion. No human being ever figured God out. The only reason you know what you know about God is because God himself revealed himself to you And gave you enough knowledge of himself that you can, in faith, believe what the Bible says. This theology just permeates everything Paul says. Even while he is arguing for his apostleship, he can't help himself but include this bit of very, very deep theology. In verse 15... Of Galatians 1, he says, But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult with flesh or blood. But think momentarily about the theology that lays behind the rather remarkable statement that it was God's pleasure to determine the time when he was going to separate Paul to this particular work, this work of preaching Jesus to the Gentiles, a determination that Paul says God made even from the time that Paul was conceived in his mother's womb. By the way, it's probably worth pointing out that God interacts with human beings, which would make Paul a human in his mother's womb, not just a zygote. Just thought I'd throw that in there. When God decided to set apart, that Greek word is to divide, to separate. When God decided to separate me from all other humans. Only Paul had this particular call where God said, I'm going to send you as my chosen vessel to the Gentiles in order to preach my son so that they will come to faith in his finished work and they too will be saved. When he who had set me apart, even from the start even from my mother's womb, the one who called me through his grace. That is such an important part of Pauline theology. All of Paul's thinking when it comes to salvation, when it comes to God's revelation, when it comes to us knowing anything about God, it always begins with God's grace. Because God, get this right, was under no obligation to us. None of us were good enough that he decided it just wouldn't be heaven without us. Instead, he looked at us, a world full of sinners, chose some people, separated them from the rest of humanity, called them to himself, did that by his grace, and he did it when he was pleased to do it. That's what Paul just said. When it pleased him. Not when we decided. Not when we made a choice. Not when we made Jesus Lord and Savior. Not when we decided to get born again. But when God was pleased, he revealed himself to each and every one of us. And that's why you know what you know. Look, if you look back over the course of your life, you would have to admit that there was a period of time in your life where you didn't know the stuff you know now about God. There were certainly periods in your life where you were rebellious, if you're anything like the rest of humanity. There was a time when you knew nothing about God. Paul says here that God was pleased to choose him, to call him, to separate him from his mother's womb. So what could Paul possibly have been doing in his mother's womb that would obligate God to call him? Nothing. He couldn't have been doing anything. He wasn't making a choice. He wasn't figuring God out intellectually. He wasn't realizing philosophically that he needed to be a better person, and therefore he needed to add Jesus to his life. He was in his mother's womb. And that is when God called him, set him apart, and determined that he was going to do the work that he's doing here. Now, Paul did not come to that conclusion on his own. This is not a Pauline New Testament invention. He didn't just come up with the idea, oh, well, if I'm called now, that must be because God determined it beforehand, and he probably called me from the womb. No, actually, this is a very solid Old Testament concept. In fact, turn to the book of Jeremiah. For the Wednesday night faithful, this will answer your question. This Wednesday night, we will be beginning our study in the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah starts with the call that God put on Jeremiah's life. And Jeremiah says that that call happened while he was still in his mother's womb. So Paul is not, again, inventing anything. He is simply recognizing what the prophets have already said, that if you know anything about God, it is because God himself revealed himself to you in his own good time. He revealed himself to you, but the determination was made all the way back when you were in your mother's womb. I would argue it was made before the foundation of the world, and it's just simply playing out in time. Here, I'll put it simpler you were walking through your little life, and you were just doing fine. Do 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 just going through your life. And then one day God got a hold of you. God changed you. God revealed Himself to you. And you began to understand things about God. Suddenly you care about the Word of God. Suddenly you think about things about Christ, about salvation, about your own sinfulness. Okay, so why did that happen? Well, because that was the moment when God was pleased to reveal himself to you. But that's not a decision he made that day. It wasn't a Thursday and he went, oh, I think I'll reveal myself to Micah today. It was a decision, a determination that was made all the way back before Micah was even born. When Micah was in his mother's womb, God already knew that that was one of his and that he was going to reveal himself to Micah when Micah reached the point where God was pleased to reveal himself. This is all the determination of a very, very sovereign God, and that's why you know what you know right now. Here's what Jeremiah says, starting in Jeremiah 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying... This is Yahweh. This is God himself speaking to his prophet. And God himself makes the same statement that Paul made. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That doesn't just mean I had knowledge of you. That doesn't mean I had some idea what you were going to be like and what you were going to do. This is the same Hebrew word that is used to describe intimate relationship. For instance, back in the book of Genesis, we read that Adam knew Eve, and she conceived. She did not conceive because he knew some stuff about her. They had an intimate relationship. And as a result, she was pregnant. Same idea here. God is saying, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I already had a intimate relationship with you, knowing full well that you were going to be mine, that I was going to choose you and separate you to myself before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. That's the word separated. It's the same thing Paul is arguing. Paul is arguing that he was separated to this particular work But God determined it from the beginning, from the start. And from the moment that he appeared in his mother's womb, God had already determined for him what his life was going to look like, the point at which he was going to reveal himself to Paul, and that Paul was going to not only preach to the Gentiles, but then suffer great things as a result. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, separated you to myself, and I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. So how did Jeremiah get the job of being prophet to the nations? God appointed it. Okay, now my point is, Paul knows all that. Paul is intimately aware of the Old Testament prophets. And he knows that Jeremiah has already heard right from God that God himself said to Jeremiah, I chose you to be a prophet while you were in your mother's womb. I separated you to that work. This is my determination that before you were born, I would separate you to this work. So therefore, Paul could also say, after going through his life, Persecuting the church as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, though he claimed before the law that he was blameless, though he was thoroughly, zealously in favor of the Jewish religion and law, nevertheless there was a moment on the Damascus Road where Jesus himself appeared to him and told him what the rest of his life was going to look like, that now you're going to go preach to the Gentiles and you're going to suffer for my sake. And Paul, realizing what Jeremiah has said, or what God has said through Jeremiah, Paul could look back then at his life and say, I'm doing this right now. I'm preaching Christ to the Gentiles because God separated me to this work, and he did that separating while I was still in my mother's womb. So whether you're looking at the Old Testament, whether you're looking at the New Testament, you have to admit that if you know anything right now, if you care about the things of God right now, if you're sitting in church right now, if you care at all about the things of God, it is because God himself, at the time when he was pleased, chose you, separated you to this, but made that determination while you were still in your mother's womb, which means, I say again. Such important Pauline theology when he talks about the twins in the womb, that they hadn't done any good or evil, but God, so that election would stand and the grace of God would stand, said, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. God makes these kind of determinations while babies are still in wombs, and Paul argues that the reason God does that is to prove that the babies didn't do anything, right? So naturally, then Paul could conclude the reason that I'm here now teaching you Gentiles is because God decided it. Okay, so why is he making that argument? Because some who seem to have authority, some who came from James in Jerusalem, have come to Galatia and are telling the Gentiles in Galatia that faith in Christ, fine. Good, but you need more than that. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to keep the law. Now, these are guys who seem to have some real authority because the Christian church, the Christian movement, the way began in Jerusalem. And these are guys who hang out with Peter, John, and James, the elders, the pillars of the church. And they've come from there to come tell you Galatians, that you have to be circumcised. And of course, the Gentile Galatians would hear that and say, well, they have authority. They must know. I mean, think about who they are. So this entire chapter, chapter 1 of the book of Galatians and into chapter 2, Paul is arguing, but wait, I also have authority. And my authority comes right from Jesus Christ, He revealed himself to me, and I am an apostle. I am a sent one of Jesus. Therefore, I'm telling you the truth that when I heard what I know and what I preach to you, I didn't even go check with them. I didn't even go find out whether I was saying the same stuff they were saying, because I heard from Jesus that this is what I'm supposed to say to you. Okay, that's all getting you ready to go into chapter 2, because Paul is arguing for his own authority. Starting at chapter 1, verse 11 of the book of Galatians, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it by a man, but I received it through a revelation, an apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who would set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and I returned once more to Damascus. And then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and I stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother, Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing that he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Okay, so the point that Paul is making here is, I know that you are being persuaded. You are being twisted. He's going to argue you are being perverted in the gospel. You have abandoned me. You have abandoned the one, and I'm amazed that you've abandoned me, but you've abandoned the one who called you to the grace of Christ. And you've abandoned that, For something that is not another gospel, for something that is in fact the opposite gospel. And I'm astounded that you would do that, but the reason they did it is because these that seem to have authority came from Jerusalem. So Paul says, When I learned what I told you, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go check with the other apostles. I did not confer with flesh and blood. I came and told you the truth of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And now someone else has come along and told you that you have to keep the law and that you have to be circumcised. And I understand that they seem to have authority, but I'm telling you this on the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter 2, he's going to use language that sounds like he is kind of belittling the apostles in Jerusalem. He's going to say, I I talked to those who appeared to be pillars. He's even going to say, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. And the reason he is doing that is because the Judaizers, who were attempting to get the Galatians to follow the law and be circumcised, did come from Jerusalem did apparently have apostolic authority, or at least that's what they were claiming. And so Paul is saying, if anyone says anything different than what I've already preached to you, whether it's me, whether it's a letter as if from me, whether it's an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Because Paul was so certain that what he heard right from Jesus was the exact message that he was assigned to preach to the Gentiles. And now the Judaizers were trying to pervert that gospel, and Paul would not allow it to be twisted. Chapter 2. That was all introduction. We're finally to the new stuff. Okay, good. You know the rule. That completely counts against my time. The rule changed. (laughs) I'm on antibiotics and they haven't been kind to me. So I'm... After an interval of 14 years I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus along also. In my introduction to the book of Galatians in preparing us for the book of Galatians I took some time to read some sections of the book of Acts to give you some sense of the conflict that was going on between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. In particular, what Paul is referring to here, where he went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus along, is in Acts 15. Let's take a moment and just turn back to Acts 15. I'm not going to read the whole thing this time. But we need to be reminded of what this particular council in Jerusalem was all about. So Acts chapter 15, the beginning of the chapter, Luke tells us what the conflict was between Paul and some men who came down from Judea. Chapter 15, verse 1, and some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses... You cannot be saved. When Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, that's what we're reading about right now in Galatians, this debate, this argument that they had, this dissension between them. When Paul and Barnabas had dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem... They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees, who had believed, stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they also are. And all the multitude kept silent. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And that's the point where James stands up, comes to a judgment that they're not going to lay any other burden on the Gentiles. And they send a letter telling them basically that they have the right hand of fellowship as long as they keep a couple of standards. Okay, back to the book of Galatians. This is the exact thing that Paul is describing here in Galatians 2. After an interval of 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running, or have run, in vain. Once Paul had the revelation that he needed to go to Jerusalem and compare what he had been preaching for 14 years among the Gentiles, he needed to compare that to what was being preached by the other apostles. And so he went up to Jerusalem, took Titus along, that's an important detail, you'll find out why in just a moment, And then he went to those who were the reputed apostles, elders, leaders of the church and compared for fear that he might have been running or had run in vain, that maybe he was actually becoming too self-involved, too self-assured, that he wasn't doing or accomplishing what God had actually sent him to say and to do and to accomplish. So he went to Jerusalem to find out what they had to say about it. Verse 3 tells us that Titus, who was a Greek, while he was in Jerusalem with the leaders of Jerusalem, was not compelled to be circumcised. Why is that such an important detail? Because the people in Galatia are saying, well, you know, there were some that came from Jerusalem that came and told us we need to keep the law. They came and told us we need to be circumcised. And Paul's saying, now, hang on a minute. Titus was with me when I was in Jerusalem and nobody compelled him to be circumcised. Now, why would that be? And why then are you listening to those who claim to have Jerusalem authority telling you that you need to be circumcised if they weren't willing to make Titus be circumcised? And why weren't they willing to make Titus be circumcised? Because Paul and Barnabas were there declaring the things they were doing among the Gentiles, how God had given the Holy Spirit to Gentiles, how God was saving Gentiles. And in that environment, it would be impossible for anyone to stand up and say, yeah, but they need to be circumcised. Titus needs to be circumcised right here and now. That's not the right environment for it. But get out of Jerusalem. Go to Galatia. Assert your authority and tell people what they got to do. They're more likely to listen to you. So Paul's argument again is Titus was with me in Jerusalem and he wasn't compelled to be circumcised. But not even Titus who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now he's going to explain why he went to Jerusalem. Why did he go have this council with the leaders there? Well, it was because there were some pseudadelphus That's a good Greek compound word translated false brethren. Pseudo, adelphus is the word for brother. False brethren. And Paul says, they snuck in among us. In other words, they acted like they were one of us. They acted like they were free in Christ. They acted like they believed what we believed so that they could get in among us and build up trust and get people to listen to them And then they started saying, and yeah, you have to keep the law, and you have to be circumcised. And I love Paul's reaction to them. But it was because of them and because of that conflict in Galatia that Paul went to Jerusalem to check with the other apostles and find out what they had to say about it. But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty. They came among us so that they could find out what level of freedom we have in Jesus Christ. And when they saw that it was apparently too much freedom, they decided to impose some law. They came to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. Okay, so what were they advocating? They were advocating keep the law, be circumcised. Paul says that's bondage. And he compared that to freedom, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ versus the bondage of the law. As a consequence, verse 5, Paul says, but we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Paul's reaction to the Judaizers, Paul's reaction to the legalists, Paul's reaction to those who want to bind your conscience and bind your heart with rules and regulations that nobody's ever kept, that didn't help The current Jews is not helping them today and didn't help the historic Jews. All it ever did was demonstrate that people were guilty. All it did was prove that sin was incredibly sinful. It could never stoop to help you. It could never stoop to save you. All it could do is put you in bondage. And there are people to this very day in churches, in pulpits, infiltrating churches, perverting the gospel, and saying, now if you really want to be right with God, you got to keep you some law. And Paul says, I didn't put up with that for an hour. I withstood that immediately. I shut that down. Because all it does is put people back in bondage. We did not yield in subjection to them for even one hour. For what reason? So that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Okay, I don't know if you grew up anything like me. If you did, you're now a bald bearded guy. But (laughs) I grew up in the Lutheran Church, and I grew up under that kind of bondage. I grew up listening to the preacher tell us from the pulpit week by week that we just weren't good enough and that we needed to keep the law. That was the way we were going to fix our problem. You've heard me say so many times now, the solution to your problem can't be you. You are your problem. You are a sinner. You are wretched before God. And therefore, since you are the wretched one, you can't fix your wretchedness here, let me apply more wretchedness to my wretchedness and see if that makes me more righteous. That makes no sense. All you can do is be you, and that's not going to help you. The beauty, the wonder, the astounding, gracious character of the gospel is that despite you, Jesus chose you, that Jesus died for you, that he paid your sin penalty, and that God determined that he was going to do that for you before the foundation of the world. And you not only don't have to, but you can't add anything to that. And so if I stand up here now and say to you that you got to do something when you can't, all that leads to is Frustration. I'm speaking first person now because I left the church. I went and sold my soul to rock and roll because I got tired of hearing that I just wasn't measuring up. Finally, one day I went, you're right, I don't measure up, Bye bye And I left the church. And that's all that the preaching of bondage can do for you. All it can do is make you feel Inadequate. Okay, you're inadequate. That's why Christ is a savior, because you're inadequate. But if the answer to your inadequacy is just do better, well, I realized one day I couldn't do any better. I was me. I was going to continue being me in all my meanness and I was just going to continue to be a failure at it. What wonderful news. What a glorious day, the day that God, by his own good pleasure, revealed Christ to me and revealed the gospel to me and caused me to go back and read his word and understand what the genuine gospel was. I was so taken with it, I'm so overwhelmed by it, that I've spent the second half of my life trying to tell other people about it because it's the most wonderful thing you're going to hear in your silly little life. And so Paul would say, when the Judaizers, when the concision, as he calls them, the cutters, when they come around, don't put up with it not even for an hour. Don't entertain it. Don't listen to it. Stand up on your hind legs, look them right in the eye and say, I'm saved in Jesus Christ and he is a fully sufficient savior and I don't need your rules and I don't need your bondage. And you know what's going to happen? Jesus, by his Holy Spirit inside you, is going to cause you and conform you into a type of life where you're going to end up doing the very things that the law couldn't make you do, even though the law required them. Because the law is external to you, and it can't change your heart, and it can't make you be better. And yet, the Holy Spirit of God, as a gift from God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, can conform you does change your heart does take out your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh the new covenant does write the law of God on your heart and you end up behaving in ways you never thought you would behave and you're not behaving better because the law said to you're behaving better because you love God by the Holy Spirit that's in you it's remarkable I didn't think I'd end up like this and yet I can't help but thank God that when he was pleased, he revealed his son to me. Oh, what a good day that was. It was because of some false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order that they could bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Okay, that was Paul's motivation for why he went up to Jerusalem, for why he went up and told the gospel that he was preaching among the Gentiles. That is why he went and got the right hand of fellowship from the leaders in Jerusalem. Verse 6 says, but from those who were of high reputation, Now that would be the elders at Jerusalem, that would be the leaders of the church there, the apostles that were at Jerusalem, but from those who were of high reputation. And then Paul says, and what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. That sounds like he's kind of denouncing the leaders in Jerusalem. And I'm convinced that the reason he's doing it is because he's writing to the church in Galatia and saying, I'm amazed that you've gone away from what I taught you to this other gospel that is not another. And you're doing it because they claim to have authority. But I'm telling you, I have authority too. And whatever authority they think they have doesn't matter to me because God is not Impressed by anybody's apparent reputation. God is not partial to any particular kind of person. So don't be swayed by their authority because I also have authority and I have told you the truth. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, Those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. When Paul went to Jerusalem, we just read it. We just saw it in Acts 15. And he told them what gospel he had been preaching to the Gentiles. You'll notice that none of the Jerusalem leaders said, well, you got it mostly right. You're 90% there. Instead, he says, now there were some of the Jews who believed in Christ, who also in their pharisaical ways argued that we have to keep the law and be circumcised. But among the leaders in Jerusalem, they gave Paul the right hand of fellowship and said, go to the Gentiles, and we're going to go to the circumcised. We're going to go to the Jews. But you go preach that gospel. Didn't change anything about it. And why didn't they change anything about it? Because God had already approved it proven by the fact that God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit, proving that he was already preserving them, that he was already saving them. So what are you going to add to that? As a consequence, Paul could say very confidently, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. That's why Paul could say, I'm not lying. I've told you the truth. It's the truth of the gospel. And I am astounded that you are listening to somebody else tell you things that can only bring you into bondage. It's amazing. But doesn't that happen to this very day? I think it's our intrinsic egocentricity. Intrinsic egocentricity, that's the phrase I went with. It is our internal sense of pride and self-made man, that sense of I'm capable, I'm independent, I can do it. As a consequence, the only thing we think we need is for someone to come and tell us what to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. How do I get to heaven? Give me my rules. I'll do it. It's so hard. We're all just natural legalists in our head. We're all just natural-born performers in our head. We want to do stuff. Because if you do stuff, you've always got that you can point at. You can go, well, I don't know if I'm going to make it to heaven or not. But hey, I did those good things, so I'm probably going to be all right. That's just the way that we naturally think. And so when someone comes to us and says, I believe in Christ. Christ, yeah. Yeah, Christian. I'm Christian. yeah. But if you're really going to be saved, if you're really going to end up in heaven, if you're really going to be redeemed in Jesus Christ, let me tell you a couple things you got to do. And through my many years here on planet Earth, I've heard a litany of things that people have to do to be saved. I've heard stuff as foolish as women cannot wear pantsuits to church. I didn't mean to look right at you, because I don't think you've ever worn a pant. But women can't wear pantsuits to church, or that men have to dress properly in church, or don't smoke. I heard a preacher once say, saved people, don't play pool. (laughs) I say you got trouble. Trouble. The capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. It was the first thought I had when I, <laughs> I just craziness, crazy. But you know what? That's appealing to people because people can stop playing pool. Because people can stop wearing whatever clothing somebody tells them is keeping them out of heaven. They make rules up that you can do. You can't do the law. There's no way you can keep God's law. (coughs) There's no way that you can keep it perfectly. There's no way that you can keep it perpetually. And a miss is as good as a mile. James says if you miss it in any one thing, you're guilty of the whole of the law. You can't keep the law. And if that becomes the standard by which you're being told you're going to be saved, you're being lied to, it's a perverted gospel, and they are putting you in bondage. Have I said anything Paul didn't say? No. Nope. Then why would we let them do that to our Christian conscience? But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually Worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. Paul is still defending his apostleship. He's still defending his authority. The same way that Peter has authority, I have authority. Notice also, though, and this is such an important point, I just want to kind of underscore it here again. Peter was sent to the circumcised, to the Jews. Paul was sent to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. You have to remember that when you're reading the New Testament. You have to make differentiations according to author. When you're reading books that Peter has written, when you're reading books that John has written, when you're reading what James has written, remember that they are all assigned to the circumcised. And as a consequence, the language that they use is specific to the audience that they are writing to. And if you don't make those differentiations, you're going to get confused. On the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectively worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles. And Recognizing the grace that had been given to me, now here's Paul's kill shot. For those who are saying, "Well, the ones who came from Jerusalem have authority," Paul saying, "I went to Jerusalem, I told them the gospel that I'm preaching to you, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, and Peter, and John. Those are the pillars. Those are the three apostles." who are the elders at the church of Jerusalem, those three who were reputed to be pillars gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we may go to the Gentiles and they would go to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor. That's the poor in Jerusalem. Those who, because they had embraced Christ, were thrown out of the temple, oftentimes had their businesses destroyed. And so Paul said, what they required of us is that we remember the poor, the very thing which we are eager to do, which is why, as Paul is traveling, he's taking up offerings for Jerusalem repeatedly. But those who were at Jerusalem, the very pillars, Peter, John, and James, you don't get much higher on the apostolic ladder than Peter, John, and James. And so Paul tells those Gentiles in Galatia, "Okay, I went to Jerusalem. And I told them what I preached to you. And they approved it. And they added nothing to it. And they gave me the right hand of fellowship and sent me back to you. So why, knowing all that, and knowing that Titus wasn't even compelled to be circumcised while he was in Jerusalem, why then would you listen to these Judaizers who come here and tell you that they have Jerusalem authority in order to lay bondage on your conscience? Why are you listening? That's why the letter starts with, I'm amazed. (laughs) I'm amazed that you're so quickly abandoning the truth of salvation by grace through faith and the one who called you to it. So, if you come away with nothing else from this morning, I hope you realize that Paul, in his own day, had to struggle as he was out there preaching salvation by grace. There were those who thought, well, now you're anti-nomos. Now you're against Moses. That's why I showed you, That Paul said, I can be all things to all men. I have freedom in Christ when I'm among. Those who are under the law, I can be like one under the law. When I'm among those who have no law, I I can be like one who's not under the law. Not as though I myself have no law, but I'm under the law of Christ. And that law of Christ brings absolute freedom. That nomos, that teaching of Christ brings freedom. And therefore, if you are free in Jesus Christ, don't let the Judaizers bind your conscience again again. I turn on the radio, turn on the internet every single day and hear the Judaizers. They're still out there at work. And somehow, gaining a following. And like Paul, I am amazed. I'm done. I'll be over there if you need me. (laughs)